In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today, on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got A.E. Osworth, author of We Are Watching Eliza Bright, and I was pumped. You were, and you should have been. Yeah. Because, wow, they were entertaining. So entertaining. This is a jam-packed interview, and you and I even talked after the fact about how much we enjoyed it. This was so fun. It and was so great. Went, we started early in the morning, and it was gave us a lot of high for the rest of the day. The week, really. Yes. The month, It was maybe. delightful. I don't even know. Yeah. Yes. We talk about their love for fantasy growing up, uh, their kind of odd TBR pile, influences for We Are Watching Eliza Bright, and why re-watching bad shows may actually be good for us. That was enlightening for me. It was very... <laughs> it made me feel very justified yes. in quite a few watching decisions. Absolutely. But there's so much more, too. They were so fun to chat with, and we've put all the books they mentioned in the show notes, so you can add them to your TBR pile. And now, here's our interview with A.E. Osworth. <laughs> all right, so Austin, tell us about your favorite book as a kid or a teen, you know, growing up, what kinds of stuff did you gravitate to? What kinds of books did you read? Um, so growing up, I was big into high fantasy. Ooh. Um, uh, yeah, that was my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have to say that like the first book that I really loved is a little difficult for me to talk about now um, a- as a trans person. Uh, oh no first, oh no uh, yeah um the the thing that the the book that got me up all night with the flashlight yeah. was harry potter um oh, and i was jk oh, rowling I got 
And I was 11 <sighs> when I encountered the first book, which is the same age as Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. so like I grew up with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily that was only the first one. Um, yeah. That was only like the, like I liked books before that, but I didn't, I didn't have the like up all night reading with a flashlight until fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like when I talk to other writers, they're like, that's late. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Everyone's different. We've had, yeah. like, we talked to so many writers and everyone comes to it differently. We talked to some people that haven't really read anything for pleasure until they were adults. So it's mm-hmm. all different. Oh, mm-hmm. oh I'm, that yeah. makes me feel so much better. Um, so mm-hmm. luckily that was just the, the gateway book um, for me. <laughs> Good. And and we don't have to talk about she who must not be named uh, at all if mm-hmm. we don't want to. Nope. Um, because the next um, set of books that I got just like deeply, deeply obsessed with. Um, have you ever heard of Tamora Pierce? No. No. Um, oh, my God. So I can heartily recommend to you as adults to read these because it they are um, there's two sort of distinct series um, that Tamora Pierce does. I'm going to start with like the one that I started with. Um, which is uh, in a place in a fantasy world called Tortal. And the very first book in that series, um, a, oh, my best friend, I'm staying with my best friend right now, literally just put, put all of them in front of me. And, <laughs> and <just Yeah>. kind of, <laughs> yeah, like, like, no. here, <laughs> your prop person is on it. This is great. You know, she is a, she is a state, uh, Broadway stagehand is what oh she is. God. So she just like, she's like, I know how to do this. <laughs> I'm in it. This is my jam. Um, wow. And so, and so the first one, yeah, right. This is the exact copy I had growing up too. The oh, first wow. one is right here. Oh, and this gosh. is, this is Alana and she, um, and she, is uh, also like in the 10 and 11 like range of age um and she doesn't want to be a lady she doesn't want to learn all the etiquette she doesn't want to get married and so what she does is she switch place switches places with her twin brother um and he goes to the same place where they teach mages magical people mm-hmm. how to how to be wizards um and she goes to the palace to train as a knight um nice. and so that is the the first like the first four books in that series they're usually in four they're not always in four and it just goes on from there and as you can like like as you can probably tell like the queerness is baked in there <laughs> that's some fantastic gender yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and in fact uh, sort of the exact opposite of our pal joanne mm-hmm. um every <laughs> every time uh, like uh, every time Tamora Pierce gets on um, gets on Twitter, she says things like, "If I'd had the language of gender fluidity in the '80s while I was oh. writing this, Alana would be like written really explicitly that way." And the thing is, I would argue that she is that she yeah. is explicitly written that way, and we just don't have the same words. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, I it's so funny. You're like, "Oh, I have no idea who this is," and I talk to a lot of like trans mask people. And everyone's like, this is my root. Wow. <laughs> this is it. That's, That's amazing. And I'm so glad that the author is still, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Is still um, a great person. Not an asshole. Still, still a great person. And like the, the thing about these books is that the moral arc of them is certainly aspirational um, in terms of like, you know, how governments um, respond and react. Like this is you know, the, these books that I just held up, like largely take place in a palace. 
um, where the prince is one of the characters um, mm. involved. And so we get this like complex portrait of like what it means to govern and what it means to be a citizen um, that is perhaps um, more optimistic than um, especially in the last few years for us yeah. um, that we might, uh, then we might have in our world. And I feel like what it taught me as a kid was to, was to aim for the ideal, mm-hmm. um, was to imagine the ideal um, and to imagine it as a, as a fantasy, as something fun. Mm-hmm. Um, because then when I'm imagining what this world could look like, I actually engage in the same kind of play um, and in the same kind of like hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that is like, that's my jam right there yeah that's beautiful yeah it also kind of takes that argument of like oh we didn't know I didn't know when I was writing the books in the 80s it kind of negates that you know like you you do know and you can write it and you know this Mm -hmm. idea of things passing the test well if you you know write correctly I guess if I'm gonna call it correctly (laughs) then you don't have to worry about that I'm so far from a person who believes in moral purity and fiction. I just don't think, I don't think it's a meaningful metric, yeah. but what, what makes me absolutely batshit is to try to cram things into the text that aren't there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that we, we've obviously seen that with our pal Joanne. Uh-huh. I think we just need to start referring our pal, our pal, Joanne. <laughs> pal Joanne. Oh, bless her heart, Joanne. Oh, Joanne. <laughs> Joanne needs to take a seat and have some soothing yes, beverages. She does. <laughs> <laughs> just a nice cup of tea. Uh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does. She <laughs> well, one of the things that we've talked about a few times on the podcast and that we hear from people like you were talking about um, fifth grade being kind of the time that you really use the flashlight on the book. Do you remember, was there a classic you struggled with? We hear this from people like they encountered a classic too soon and maybe that impeded their reading life a little bit. Do you remember anything that you were assigned or encountered that you thought, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this. Freshman year. Um, <laughs> I know immediately what it is. <laughs> I know immediately what it is. And you know what? I will stand up for 14 year old Austin on this one because the classic <laughs> that I, that I could not get behind was the old man in the sea. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. Like I said, I will stand up for 14 year old Austin and being like, it's this big. And I have never, I have never had so few pages take so many weeks <laughs> um, because it was the summer reading book before freshman year. Oh, that was oh, mean. No. <laughs> what? That was mean. And I just, I was like, this shouldn't be a big deal. It's tiny. Mm-hmm. And yet every time I, I just, I read a page and I want to, throw the book into the creek mm-hmm. every time um if i w- if i had lived close enough to the sea that's what i would have given it to you uh, <laughs> just directly back into the ocean you go <laughs> and i will stand i feel like past austin had my back had present austin's back on that one because i feel like i, I maybe this is a bias of mine but like i actually prefer to write with a far more embellished longer sentence like I take a lot more in terms of classics from Wolf and Proust than I do from Hemingway Mm -hmm. Um, and that sometimes puts me in uh, in an odd conversation with for instance in my MFA program um, where a lot of the aesthetic was far more spare Uh Um, 
and you know that the sort of idea of the American novel is like far more spare um, than what I'm interested in engaging with and doing um so that's uh, that you know what past Austin self five like (laughs) well we feel the same because we like some of our the things that we uh hit up against like Moby Dick Jesus um we we stand by it. It's like, listen, yeah. is, these are not things to give kids. This just makes reading terrible. It just makes it a drudgery, you know? Mm-hmm. I still haven't done Moby Dick. So like, don't, if, if don't. I- Mm-mm. Mm-mm. do not. <laughs> Solid yeah. waste of time. <laughs> and when there are so many, and when there are so many classics, so like many I think about, ones. yeah, I think about the classics that like, that I, that I, that hit it just the right time. Um, like I think about, um, Beloved by Toni Morrison, um, that I read in high school. I think about, um, heck, even all the Shakespeare's hit me at just the right time. Like the progression of Shakespeare's, um, with the exception of King Lear, um, Mm. I had a teacher beat that, that text into the ground. We don't Uh, need that anymore. mm -mm. Um, and I would have loved it if I hadn't had that particular teacher, but like they, like the progression of the Shakespeare's that they really got me like exactly at the right times. Um, and I think about Tess of the D'Urbervilles I loved, um, which like it, everyone around me absolutely detested the thing. And I was like, <laughs> no, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then of course my, my namesake, Jane Austen, um, I hit me at just the right time in high school as well. Is that where uh, you got your name? Yeah, that's what oh, I Oh, that's beautiful. That, that is. I, I wanted a neutral name, a gender neutral mm. name. And I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, and I, my, when I actually asked that question to myself, I was like, cool, it means either nouns or last names to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went, I went <laughs> devotional. I went with a devotional name and picked oh, that's beautiful. Jane Austen's last yeah. name. <laughs> Do you, you made it- a good point too, that when we talk about classics, that sometimes it's not just the text, but it's that different things mean different things to different people. So forcing everyone into this one path, like this is the best book you're ever going to read is never really effective. You know, there's other people that probably didn't get anything out of Shakespeare, but it did mean something to some people. So, you know, we just, I feel like we narrow that so much in school. And I, I think about like uh, the classics I didn't get that like I encounter in like later in life and I'm like this whips where was this mm-hmm. like <laughs> where was to the lighthouse in in my AP English class well uh-huh. it was a woman so that's just you know that's crazy <laughs> we can't have that can't have that <laughs> corrupting <laughs> you do you think you know you mentioned Virginia Woolf you mentioned Proust you mentioned Jane Austen do you think those are some of the authors and books that made you want to be a writer or do you are there others that you think specifically you remember like oh I want to do this I mean to be honest the, like the wanting to be a writer part mm-hmm. that's more to more appears than anybody else mm-hmm. um because what it, I was like this person sits down and for like uh, truly uh, like dozens and dozens of books plays pretend. Um, and I cannot think of a better thing to do than to sit down and play pretend for as many books as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so that the wanting that's the craft and the skill, like actually, like, I feel like people are surprised when I talk about classics in relation to my book, um, because my book, um, ha- is about the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so people are expecting me to have drawn a lot of inspiration from like really, really contemporary texts and the internet itself and technology, which I did. But a lot of the craft elements in that, Proust, Wolf, and Austin, yeah, all make an appearance in there. Absolutely. Jane Austen, you know, Jane Austen's use of letters, for instance, mm-hmm. it, to build tension. The the only difference between that and the G chats that I use and we are watching Eliza Bright is speed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like that is the met- that like that is the actual difference. But craft wise, like they function really similarly um, mm-hmm. to to any epistolary project. So like that's in there. Um, my narrators um, presume to understand what is going on in the protagonist's heads and they jump from protagonist to protagonist, sometimes in the same sentence as into the lighthouse. That was mm-hmm. my model text for how to do it. Um, and Proust, you know, I, I have a narrator that doesn't have a single period in um, any of their <laughs> chapters. And oh my God, yes. So technical skill wise and like, what are, what are the rules? What are the models and how can I break them? And what does it mean when I do? I'm looking to Proust for that. Um, hmm. uh, Proust in translation and I've read it in French as well, um, which was very painful. I'm not that good at French. Oof, yeah, that doesn't sound <laughs> fun. <laughs> <laughs> but like, in terms of like how, like, how is this constructed and why would we construct it this way? Like the, the a lot of the actual skills that I use in my book are from the classics. Wow. So the wanting and the skills are come from different places for me. For sure. Well, shifting focus a little bit to your reading life now, uh, how many books are on your to be read pile? And what are a few that you can share? <laughs> we love this so, question. <laughs> you're hitting me at kind of a weird time because I'm traveling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am both traveling, and the reason I'm traveling is to go to a writing residency where I'm working on my second book. Ooh. Which means a lot of my reading is geared toward my second book. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Which is about Satan. <gasps> and I say that I say that really glibly, but it's actually rooted in like a lot of biblical scholarship. So my reading life right now a little strange. It's a little weird <laughs> because I have. Um, the things that I have in my suitcase while I'm traveling and, and things that I'm reading before I go to this writing residency so that I can like really um, use my time as like I use my time there writing instead of researching. Um, I have three Bibles with me. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, like what else do I have? Well, here we are. The Rise and Fall of Adam and Eve, um, which is Ooh. nonfiction. Yeah. Um, which if you, I talking about kids stuff, if you ever, did any of you have, um, like an ancient Egypt phase or was that just yes, me? I did in cool. like fourth and fifth grade. Yeah. This, if, if you were the kid with the ancient Egypt phase, mm-hmm. um, this will scratch that itch. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. because it has, it, it delves into like ancient society and like what myths were at that time. Um, what I just got done reading a little section about Augustine of Hippo and like, and it talks about Augustine of Hippo's family in like pretty modern terms, because like this guy's, this guy's dad was like trying to save for college essentially. And I was like, Oh, nothing's different. Yeah. The concerns of the family <laughs> are still <laughs> there. <laughs> They're like, this kid really needs to go to the university at Carthage. So we've got to scrape everything together. And I'm like, <laughs> They just need and a GoFundMe page and then we're modern yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Um, and the, the things that I loved as a kid, like figuring out about ancient Egypt, weren't the ways that ancient societies were really different. 
though those were fascinating as well it was the ways in which ancient society was exactly the same like how much people love their cat and like <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like if if that was ever you um the rise and fall of adam and eve and Stephen greenblatt might scratch that itch i also do have like fiction that i'm reading um and, and the other sort of like you're catching me at a weird time is i just launched my book um mm-hmm. and so i I like I've got like an event coming up and I'm uh and I'm reading it's it, thankfully for me Zakia Delilah Harris and I graduated from the same MFA program oh, so wow. we get to do we're both on the new school reading list for the summer um oh, the new school's wow. like a al- summer alumni reading list and I get to and she's friend um and I get to talk to Zakia about the other black girl so I'm reading the other black girl <laughs> that's um, awesome and it's fantastic and everyone should be reading it. Um, and we are going to talk about, like, I, like I, the, I'm reading it for, um, in particular, marginalized characters in thrillers and, like, the, mm. the craft function of marginalization and thrillers and how that yeah. builds tension. <laughs> um, and so that's, like, that's on my list right now. Um, I also have a galley of truly the weirdest book that everyone should also be reading. It comes out next month. Um, and it's called Several People Are Typing by Kelvin Kosulke. Um, and it is told entirely in Slack messages. It's, it's a work from home workplace um, situation that he'd been working on for a long time. And then everyone worked from home for a oh minute. My Not everyone, those, those with, those right. with the, the ability from home, work from home. Um, and so uh it just like is hitting like just at the right time where everyone is like on board with what this is except it's not super realistic it is not a spoiler to say that on the first page of this book um someone accidentally uploads their consciousness to slack so um, <laughs> that is another book that absolutely everyone should read it's absolutely oh wild God. wow I was also like an always work from homer with the exception mm-hmm. of like when I would go in to teach. Otherwise I would be working from my living room. And so it, it, it is always like it hit me special. Um, <laughs> oh my and I gosh. feel like now it's going to hit everybody special. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so in, you know, in some of your reading that you're doing while you're traveling or in your research about Satan, which sounds great. Um, were there any other books that you think have surprised you? recently oh surprising books um I will do one that um that I'm only a a little bit into so Mm -hmm. like like uh, perhaps my surprise will be different um but every year I usually read um the National Book Award winner in fiction um I like I teach at the new school I graduated from the new school uh they host the National Book Award readings Mm -hmm. so I usually go um to that when it exists in the oh, world cool. um yeah. and i and so i get to hear like all like all of like the nominees like read their stuff and then i make sure that i get the award winner and this year that is um interior chinatown by charles Yu. oh yeah mm-hmm. um and um i'm only a little bit into it so like i said my surprises um you know may be different and bigger as i get farther into it but it is so cool. It is it, like I, when I crack open a novel, it, I expect, you know, okay, we're, this is a novel. And so I'm going to open the first page and this is what the prose is going to look like. Um, and this 
is inhabiting um, a world that is told um, both with novelistic conventions, but also with screenplay conventions. Um, and so the the form of that is so fucking interesting. Yeah. It's so fucking cool. And I I was like, cool. I I didn't go to the reading this year because there's no places. Um, <laughs> 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 right, right. Uh -huh. I don't have a I don't have a preview of what this is going to be. Um, oh, but I yeah. know it won. I always read the winner, and so here we go. Yeah. Um, and I opened it up and I was like, what is this? It's so cool. <laughs> this is not what I was expecting um at all. <laughs> and so Interior Chinatown by Charles Hugh. That's awesome. I didn't realize that it was in sort of a screenplay format. That makes me yeah. want to read it even more. Yeah. Well, so it isn't, it isn't like okay. dive in, but okay. like it, it is really formally experimental. Um, nice. And love that. Uh, mm -hmm. it also, it also addresses the reader in second person. Um, and does it really like, does it pretty successfully too? <laughs> super cool. It's super cool. I like it already. Mm -hmm. How do you, okay, outside of when you're kind of researching for a book or, you know, having a book event, how do you normally find book recommendations? Oh, well, the nice part about being a writer um, is that everyone, not everyone I know, but a lot of people I know are also writers. Mm. Um, and so I sort of have like a constant inflow of like everyone's books that I like. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm in particular really excited for 2022. I feel like that's, that's that year's going to rule. Uh, Gina Cadillac's book, I think is 2022. I have this like constant influx of like people's books. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. um, is like my friend's brain did a cool thing. <laughs> now I, I get to read it. <laughs> but the other thing is that every, <laughs> I also, uh, everyone also is like constantly reading for their projects. Um, and like in their genres and in convert, like what's in conversation with what I'm thinking about right now. And so just talking with other writers, like I get so many books that I would not like, I, they talk about so many books that like are way outside of what I'm thinking about right now. And I get mm -hmm. to like yoink it in. Um, I'm really excited to jump into though, have not yet. Um, like one of the people in my writing group is Nick White. Um, and he did uh, an event with Alyssa Washuda for White Magic. Um, and he was like, this is for you. It's Ooh. made for you and you have to read it. And that is like being friends with people who read so widely for so many different things and different reasons. Like, like people like keep an eye out um, mm -hmm. or when they're reading something, they're like, man, this is like for Austin. They'll tell me. And I do the same with them when I'm mm -hmm. reading something. I'm like, oh, you know who likes this? And, and then I <laughs> recommend it out. And then I like, I don't know if it's cheesy or not to do, but like I do things like I always manage to read the National Book Award winner in fiction. Like uh, yeah. I, I like I always try to um, to to do that uh, as well because I feel like you know whether or not it's something that I would normally pick up and whether or not it's even something that I enjoy the experience of reading, like there, we are obviously in a moment um, where this is part of the conversation yeah. of books. Um, and I want to make sure that, that that's a conversation that I can participate in. Absolutely. I don't think there's Very any cheese cool. in that. Yeah. Yeah. No. 
also love the idea of getting recommendations from other writers. Just Aaron and I doing this series where we talk to authors every time after we do, we get this list and we just go on a book buying frenzy and it's delightful. Yeah, it is. Well, it's a- I will say one thing I want to try um, really desperately. I saved the tweet where they said they would do this and I hope that they're still doing it. A Room of One's Own is a trans owned bookstore and there is a bookseller there that tweeted out, if you want recommendations, if you want us to just send you a box of books for, like from the bookseller, Whoa. what you you email us and you give us your good reads that has the stuff you've read on it and the stuff you own so that we don't send you repeats and, and we get an idea of your taste and we'll just send you stuff. And I want to try that because the booksellers yes. know everything. Yes. Booksellers yeah. know everything. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's fantastic. Um, so... Uh, that like I want to try that real bad. Yeah. I also know loyalty. I also know loyalty books does a mystery box. Ooh. Um, I love a mystery which box. Is, you might get repeats, um, but uh, but that's that. I I love like a little bit of random um, injected into my reading. Mm. Uh, I I think a lot about the internet. I write about the internet, um, and I. I think a lot about like why algorithms are so successful. Yeah. Um, and it's because like, by and large, we want to be fed things we like already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's not really a lot of, there's not really a lot of incentive to disrupt the internet from doing that to us, for us, however you conceptualize it. Um, and I think the sort of way to rewire a little bit is to introduce that kind of randomness into things that are not the internet, into our analog reading lives, into our lives in general, mm-hmm. um, and allow ourselves to be surprised just a little bit more um, by things outside of our normal comfort zone. Um, so if I pass, for instance, a book, a table of books that are wrapped in brown paper um, that sometimes happen in independent bookstores, and it, it has like a couple of... Um, like descriptors on the front um, and it's otherwise a blind date, um, then I will, uh, I will nearly always buy from that table <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's good for me. I think it's good yeah. for me to not always be in charge of, of what I pick um, and what I encounter. Yeah. Uh, some of my best, some of my best ideas and best experiences come from um, allowing for the random. Yeah. That's such and a great book. way of putting that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last book I got off of one of those tables happened to be Orlando. So like sometimes it's just like, sometimes the universe is just like, here's something that's just for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what you need. But like, you need this. Here you mm-hmm. go. That's fantastic. Well, mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, you mentioned that as we have, as you know, we recommended we are watching Eliza Bright in a recent episode freaking loved it. And you, know, you. You, mentioned, you mentioned a couple books and authors that inspired the, the style in which you wrote. Are there other like topics, books, authors that particularly inspired that book, especially the Gamergate plot line, the different, the sixterhood, all of that kind of stuff. Well, the sixterhood's just my friends. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, good. I wanted them to exist. That's fantastic. Actually, actually here's the thing. Um, the sixterhood is based on a on a housing collective that did exist. Really? Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, very loosely based. I only stayed there for a weekend in their elevator shaft. Um, the oh elevator was not working. It was not the same. It so did this not have the same non-fiction, this book. Is, uh, <laughs> it's just... 
<laughs> no, it's super, super made up, but it has a couple of things that um, that are definitely drawn from life. Um, that housing collective was called the Octagon. They lived in San Francisco wow. um, in a warehouse. Um, and they do not exist anymore. Um, but uh, my friend DJ hosted, hi DJ, thank you for doing that. Um, <laughs> hosted me for a weekend while I was speaking at a conference in San Francisco. Um, and I stayed in their elevator shaft and wow. sort of saw their space. Um, and uh, there are, you know, uh, I, I cannot purport to know individuals or even the group well enough to say that like, they're the same thing. Um, but there are certainly elements of them that mm-hmm. showed up there. Um, and then otherwise, like how I wound up with the sisterhood is my book is narrated by Reddit, mm-hmm. um, which Oof. in terms of inspiration for that, I read a lot of Reddit. It was really oh, painful. God. I spent five years and I didn't read good Reddit, right? There's good Reddit. Um, yeah. and, then there, and then there are the places on Reddit that are the manosphere um, that like really are, are a pipeline to radicalizing young white men. Um, I just finished so, a book called Men Who Hate Women, and it's all about the manosphere. And it sounds like the author did something similar where just hung out on the Reddit forums, the incel forums, all of that. I applaud you for the <laughs> mental stability to do that. Yeah. It's, like giving, it's like giving the internet a proctology exam. I stared <laughs> at the butthole of the internet for five years. <laughs> and oh, that's just what it is. Oh, um, and in terms of like mental stability to do that, here's the thing that I learned doing that as a by the by, and then we'll get back to how I wound up with the sixerhood. Um, a thing that I learned is that um, there are some times where my inner monologue sounds a lot like the Reddit guys. Um, and, and, that's, and that's not from reading Reddit, right? Misogyny didn't get born on Reddit. So sometimes I will think a thing about my own appearance um, mm. or I will think a thing about what I deserve in this world as a trans person um or I will think I will think something really cruel and it's usually about me I usually don't apply it to other people but that's just as fucking bad Mm -hmm. um I am also I am also a person like everybody and what it what actually like looking at looking at this voice um and the things that they say and what they prioritize and how they say it enabled me to pick out the times where my voice actually came from somewhere that wasn't me Um, And that came from, you know, existing in the misogyny that we just exist in. Um, Because it didn't, like I said, it's not, it's not exclusive to the internet. It didn't get made up on the internet. Like this, the internet has amplified and, and like exemplified things Mm -hmm. that are already happening all the time around us. Um, And so it's enabled me to go, okay, like I just had that thought. Um, What's the second thought instead? Um, what is the, like, I had that thought and that's not coming for me and I do not endorse it. So what's the next step from that instead of, instead of just wholesale, not examining it. Um, and that's been, that's been a really like special outcome. And I, I actually kind of hope that the effect of reading it, um, like uh, that at least a couple of people in the world, um, have some of the same thought processes because I'm a lot kinder to myself than I was when I started writing this. Fantastic. Wow. That's an amazing outcome to that. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out writing a book super changes you and you don't always know exactly how. (laughs) 
it's it's impossible to predict exactly how that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah. How I got the sisterhood, they were a late ad. Um, they I had a one single hacker that kind of solved the problem. Um, when I first turned this into my agent, he was like, "That's a Deus Ex Machina. She solves too many problems. She deserves her own book. Get her out of this one." Um, and I was like, "You're probably correct." And so the sisterhood got inserted then. Um, and then my editor was like, Hey, I, at around the time I handed a, another draft to my editor, I started having this like crisis of conscience about the portrayals of community. And we are watching mm. Eliza bright because mm. if I was portraying only Reddit, which is the butthole of the internet, mm-hmm. um, and, or at least the parts of Reddit that I was portraying are the butthole of the internet and made for radicalizing young white men and are super insecure. Um, and are uh, really cruel. Um, if that was the only community that I was portraying, what exactly was, what's the argument that I'm making about community and about the internet? And do Ooh. I actually agree with that argument? And the truth is I don't. Um, I, you know, I used to work for Autostraddle. Um, mm-hmm. I'm back guest editing a series. That's a website by and for queer folks. Ooh. Um, cool. And um, yeah, and I'm guest editing a fiction series. It's really rad. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah, it's super cool. Two are up already. Um, I got hundreds of submissions, so it's moving a little slower than anticipated. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's only me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I turned this in and I was like, like, is this something that I agree with? Or is this something that I get through? Because in my next book, I will say something different. And my editor, Seema Mahanian, got back to me and was like, hey, like, um, there's, a, there's actually like a kind of a hole here, which is that you say um, in the prose that the Redditors can't really imagine what's inside the Sixterhood and yet they still marry. They're also really brutal to listen to um, for 400 pages. What if the Sixterhood narrated um, the portions of the book that are inside the Sixterhood because they can wow. see what's going on? And I knew immediately that she was right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, how weird can I get? And she was like, how weird can you make it? <laughs> um, <laughs> Then I rewrote a chapter, just one, in that voice with those, with that choosing no periods, creative capitalization, um, uh, radical kindness. Like there was like a lot of um, like, like hallmarks of them. And then I looked down at what I had and I was like, oh, this is how I text my friends. That's what I oh. built here. And I got really sad because my impulse as a, as a person, as an author, was to focus on the Redditors, which are largely um, straight white men, mm-hmm. not entirely, but like that is a, a, a large commonality um, in those places. And I wanted to put those in fiction because I'd seen that before. Um, and I had never seen something entirely like the way that I speak to my queer community um, a community that exists on the internet that I made mm-hmm. on the internet by working for the website and in the places that I have worked. Well, I will tell you that the Sixterhood's voice is often in my head when I need a little pick me up because they are just so <laughs> generous and like almost to a comic level. I'm like, yes, I love this hyperbole. I love it. I, yeah. So you did well there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but that in terms of like inspiration, like it's absolutely like, yeah, I'm going all the way back to the original question. <laughs> Modern inspiration. It is, you know, the Sixerhood is based on, um, you know, my friends and also this community that did exist. Yeah. Um, 
the plot events in here are based on um, actual things that have happened in the context of Gamergate, but also mm -hmm. in the context of online harassment. But then another contemporary book um, that I was like really writing, there are a couple things that I was writing against because um, I think that's a perfectly, like, I think it's totally fine to get super mad and then write 400 pages based on the fact that you're just fucking pissed. Um, and there were two things that did that. Um, a Law & Order SVU episode about Gamergate. Um, that, that <laughs> and it's bad. <laughs> and it's bad. <laughs> because in the space of fiction, why would you choose to absolutely punish the person, the person who is already being punished by Gamergate? Yes. And that is what that episode does. That mm -hmm. episode takes that punishment and without any nuance and without any analysis, um, heightens it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't, I, I do not want to do that. If we're going to explore this in the, in the space of fiction, like we get to make different choices mm -hmm. about what happens. And we get to explore truth from the vantage point of like, we can actually deviate from the facts to tell the truth. And so what happens if, for instance, I make the, the decision, and I don't think that this is a spoiler, um, if I make the decision that she's not going to quit in the end, no matter what. And that was something I had in my head from the beginning, because I hated that episode of SVU. <laughs> that is, like, I think it's okay to write against stuff that you disagree with. I think Absolutely. Well, it makes it purposeful, too. You know, when we encounter things that we're frustrated with, or we don't like the portrayal, you know, then it, there's an outlet, which is really what's needed because otherwise it just bottles up and well because the answer is the answer isn't that those things shouldn't exist right the answer mm -hmm. is we need more things yeah that's, mm -hmm. that's yeah we need more portrayals we need more books we need more things that, that deal with gamergate and effective space we need more takes on this not mm -hmm. fewer mm -hmm. um, and so like when i'm like oh like i got mad so i made a different thing like i what i am not arguing for again i'm not the guy that thinks moral, moral purity belongs to fiction Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that we need a lot of different kinds of fiction that yeah. deal with these issues in mm -hmm. order to move through the world in a nuanced way. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Thinking about fiction and recommendations and things that we've talked about, is there a book or an author that you think everyone should read? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> because I am, so because I am on the leg of my journey where I'm in the sort of New Jersey, New York area, I will share with you my favorite New York essay and the book that it is in. Mm. Um, cause I think, cause I think everyone, I know the New York essay is done to death. Um, but my favorite New York essay is the rosary by Alexander Chi. So I am particularly uh, taken with that essay and that essay is in um, how to write an autobiographical novel. Mm, okay. Um, so uh, that is a, a particular book that I think everyone should read. And then other than that, I will use this time to plug pre-ordering books, um, yes. especially by debut authors. And especially during this time where debut authors, like I, I debuted during a pandemic and I'm not going to pretend that didn't suck. Um, mm. Like all of the fun stuff that I, that I was looking forward to getting to do, I didn't get to do a lot of it. Um, mm. But more like, and also the, the ramifications of that is that no one quite knows how to do this. Um, and so pre-ordering books by debut authors helps them um, if it's a person who's writing, whose other writing you like um, when they have done essays, when they have done short stories, if it's a person, it, like it enables them to do more of that writing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I will also plug pre-ordering. I've mentioned Calvin Kosolke, his book is coming out next month. I mentioned Gina Kadlec, her book is coming out next year. So pre-ordering Heretic. Um, uh, 
Brittany De La Creta uh, has Hail Mary coming out, which is nonfiction. And if you like a league of their own, um, it is essentially a league of their own. But football, did you know we had a women's football league in this country? What? Yeah, we did. Like league of their own, but football. And what? so that's coming out. I think that's coming out actually this fall um, around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So just in time Ooh. to like really More immerse football. yourself in the football. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and like th- that in terms of like the book everyone should read, like the book everyone should read is the book that hasn't come out yet. Um, and That's, and yeah, you should pre-order that book, whatever it is, go to those, go to those events, figure out whose books are coming out. Um, and and uh, Tiffany Unique, Monster in the Middle, that's coming out this fall as well. That's going to be rad. So, <laughs> um, so debut authors and established authors alike, pre-orders make a difference. Yeah. If you like someone's writing, pre-order their book. They will make more writing for you if you do that. Erin, mm-hmm. it feels like we put Austin up to this because <laughs> like I, we talk about pre-orders all the time and I, I have a book coming out this fall and we've been like, you know, pushing pre-orders and stuff. So yeah, like mm-hmm. love it. I don't think people understand that necessarily. If you're not totally like immersed in the book world, how important pre-orders can be. Mm-hmm. And it, it really honest, is truly. I didn't understand that. it. Yeah. 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 And we're so used to immediate gratification that sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to order this book and then I don't get it. But the best part is that I always forget books I pre-order and then they come in <laughs> and, and I'm like, this is the best day ever. <laughs> yeah, I just did that with, um, although I feel, I feel like I couldn't forget this one because my boyfriend was all about this book. Um, I just did that with um, The Natural Mother of the Child, Chris Malcolm Bell. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it showed up at my house and I was like, present for me. <laughs> it is. It's like you're buying a present for your future self. That's beautiful. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. So one more question. I know we're coming up on time. Um, We always talk at the end of each weekly episode about our favorite pop culture obsession, whether it's movies, shows, music, podcasts, whatever. Do you have a current pop culture obsession? So here's the the thing about me and obsessions Mm. um, is that I am sort of naturally hardwired to love everything. (laughs) Um, I just, I just like stuff. Um, and it's a good so place to be. like, it's a great place to be, but it means my pop culture recommendations should be taken in that spirit. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and so sometimes I recommend things that are like brilliantly thought out. Sometimes I recommend things that you're like, are you sure? Uh, <laughs> and so I, it's fine. Yeah. I, I have two examples, one of each, um, and the, I have just gotten into, cause all of my friends have been telling me to do it for a while and I had a really hard 2020. So I didn't engage with this in 2020, but I am engaging with it now. Um, it's been around for a minute, but the Magnus archives, a podcast, mm. um, it is a, it is a scripted supernatural horror podcast. Um, and I write a, I write a horror column, um, mostly about children's horror from like the era of my childhood, um, for catapult. Uh, so, but I have a, like, I, my tolerance for horror, like I talk about this in that column, my tolerance for horror over the course of 2020 started to climb. Um, uh, like I, I, all of a sudden I couldn't watch scary things for a really long time. And all of a sudden, not only could I, but I wanted to. And so I, um, you know, started engaging with, um, horror in a way that I hadn't since I was really little. Um, and I liked horror then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I did was watch Dark, 
um, which is on Netflix. Highly recommend that. Um, and it, this is sort of like part of that larger engagement. And I had amassed a lot of things and I had just started it and it's amazing. Um, so it's Magnus Archives. And then the, I will give you the example of the other thing. The other thing I'm like, have you rewatched How I Met Your Mother? Um, because that's a bad show, guys. I know it is. And they can't go two episodes without making a transphobic joke. They cannot go. It's like, Disney? it's like when they, oh my God, it does not hold up in this respect. And so like, when you go in, you got to be like, cool. Like I'm going to put my transphobia armor on to engage with this. But, um, oh. the reason I love rewatching stupid shit like that, um, <laughs> I, it's several fold, right? Um, Rewatching things enables us to feel a sense of control in our lives, for instance, when uh, we're in an era that feels really out of control. Um, it's, it's calming and soothing in that way, but it also lets us engage with it deeper than when we watched the first time, um, which if you were a person who did watch How I Met Your Mother the first time, I did, um, mm -hmm. and did not remark upon all the ways that it was racist, ableist, transphobic. Um, you get to you get to actually dig into that and dig into what it would mean. And I have formulated the theory that if we did a queer remake of How I Met Your Mother, the format of the show makes that remake radical. Um, because the premise of How I Met Your Mother is we start, see, this is why everyone's like, please sit down. Please sit down <laughs> and give us no pop culture recommendations. Please don't do it. Um, because the premise of How I Met Your Mother is that we start with Ted Mosby speaking to his future children, a thing mm -hmm. that he deeply, desperately wants. Um, and he wants those children with a partner. Um, and we know that in the sort of past storyline, which is, was the present storyline while it was airing. Um, if we know that from the, from the very beginning, we are not waiting for any of the queer characters to die. Um, we, are, we know that their life is basically a happy one. Uh, wherein they get something that they really want. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm sold. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You uh -huh. got me there. Yeah. Mm. And then if we even take the character of Barney Stinson, who is a monster, mm -hmm. uh, and we give like, <laughs> and we and we do some of that like gender relational thinking in a queer context that actually addresses like a real problem about like um, misogyny in the queer community. Yeah. Um, and so giving, giving like a queer masculine person that kind of arc is actually like intellectually rigorous in a way that How I Met Your Mother wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so this is why I recommend rewatching bad TV. Is <laughs> 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 because then you get to talk to people like this um, and they get to say to you, for instance, I think you need to sit down and I'll get you a soothing beverage. <laughs> well, you're already sitting down. It looks like you have a soothing beverage. I'm in. I, I think this is great. Yeah. I think your mind, the way your mind works is great. See, I would watch it and be like, this is terrible. I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> Instead, but, Austin yeah. rewrites it. Yeah. Yeah. In a great yeah. way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> But yes, uh, and are those pop cultures since they're a little bit old? I would argue that yes, they still are. Mm -hmm. um, especially mm -hmm. since How I Met Your Mother does have a sequel coming out. That's uh, right. It yeah. does. Uh, I missed so, that. <laughs> yeah, How I Met Your Father. I'm uh -huh. skeptical. Um, <laughs> yeah. It feels like almost a bachelor premise or something. Like, I don't, oh, yeah. God. Mm -mm. Huh. Um, but rewatching stuff that is old like I don't know I'm 
I'm a person that doesn't, that thinks that things shouldn't have an expiration date, that you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to be on the bleeding edge to be relevant in terms of pop culture. Um, but that the real satisfaction of pop culture is the way, and especially things that are a couple years old, they have now actually had a chance to influence um, culture mm-hmm. at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so you can actually engage with stuff that's a couple years old um, more critically, deeply than you could when it first aired because now you have seen, okay, like what, what is its function? Like, how are we different now? Are we different now? That's terrific. Uh, I I know we're slightly over time. Austin, thank you so much for your time. This was so fun. Delightful to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely to meet you guys as well. Enjoy your traveling. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Pandemic rum springer. That's it. Yes. Yes. What a delight. What a delight. I know we say that a lot, but this, it applies. It applies. A lot of the authors are wonderful, but this interview just... I like that Austin just came in hot and was ready to go, was very like excited to be there with us. It was awesome. The energy was amazing. And Mm -hmm. we're not lying when we say that we really felt that all week. Yeah. We just getting, that's the best thing about this podcast, right? Getting to talk to authors that are truly in love with books and reading and sharing that and learning about it. It's so fun. And it makes us excited to read. It makes us excited to keep talking to more authors and find out how this space is so beautiful and expansive and inclusive. And it's just a goddamn delight. Delightful. <laughs> uh, it was interesting to start off right off the bat. Yeah. With the kind of shitty trans experience of looking back on their first book love and how it has been sullied by she who shall not be named. Which was terrific. It was terrific. Yeah. In that sense. That Dear was a great Joanne. Way. Yeah. Who is <laughs> sorely misguided. And it, it, it was really, though... It, I imagine it's a very uh, common experience for so many people who grew up with Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and who have come to understand themselves in this way Mm -hmm. and realize, oh, shit, like it's almost like a betrayal. Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it really feels that way. But thankfully, they had other authors that they were in love with that they wrote inclusive fantasy. Yeah, like Tamora Pierce. And so you can scratch that itch a different way and not have to only fulfill it one way. Uh, writing, playing pretend. Yeah. I. It's a simple way to look at it, but it I've is. also never really s- heard of it framed that way. Yeah. And it's a beautiful way to look at it. Like, yeah, you get to create this thing mm-hmm. and have it be how you want it to be, mm-hmm. which is a delight again. It is. But also, like, I can understand, too, how that power can go to heads. Uh, because, yes. you know, every once in a while, I feel godlike in my yes. ability to be like, you know what? I'm going to kill this person. Killing them off done in the pages not in real life Mm -hmm. but in these pages i am goddamn god we don't talk about a lot like if i wrote really (laughs) regularly how many of my characters would just be maimed (laughs) like just be missing arms or ears or i just because you're mad at them yeah i think i would just do a lot of things that made no sense which is why you're a much better (laughs) writer we should i don't know if i make sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 Because you point. should probably just kill them and not just maim them. But, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, hey, if you've got stuff to work out, that's a great way to work it's it out. It's a great way to do it. Yeah. It's a great way. Um, I love that the next book is about Satan. And so. <laughs> right? I did not see that coming. <laughs> and so the TBR pile is necessarily 
quite uh, strange, like three Bibles yes. they're carrying around. Mm-hmm. That's uh, That's got to make for some intense reading. Yes. I'd love, because I'm a sucker for this too, the randomness and mm-hmm. specifically those mystery books that are wrapped in brown paper. I think a lot of times right now they get framed as like a blind date with a book yes. in brown paper. And I'm a sucker for that. It's so fun because like when... They started talking about this and you talking about this. I was like, oh, I hate that, actually. I hate, <laughs> I hate not knowing what's in there. Like, I want to know. But after, you know, talking this through, I think, I think Austin convinced me yeah. that, like, I should go ahead and, and take that gamble. Because it's oh, not really see, a gamble. Yeah. I think it's just the idea of it on the front maybe made you feel that way. Because I think you are yeah. kind of like that. You go into bookstores and buy books you've never heard of. Oh, for sure. But it's somehow, I don't like that. Yeah, it's completely oh, covered. I yeah. don't like, okay. like, I want to know something. Right. I, yeah, I, I don't gotcha. know. I think this reveals something about me. You know, maybe, maybe it's it's my uh, detesting of games that because it's be. somewhat game like. True, you know, that's what we've hit on here. Yeah, yeah this mm-hmm. does feel game like. This is the deep seated, okay. mm-hmm. weird, traumatic fear of games, which is out. why I maim people and you kill them because you're out. <laughs> I'm not playing a game. You're just dead. <laughs> <laughs> no games here. This no is just games. happening. Yeah, I like that. I mm-hmm. mm-hmm. oh my goodness. The talk about the research that Austin oh. did for We Are Watching Eliza Bright and the significant amount of time they spent in the butthole of the internet, that is, I can't imagine how sad that must be. Mm-hmm. Frustrating. Mm-hmm. Painful. So painful. Infuriating. Yes. But I do like that, I mean, Austin was able to frame it in a way of like, you know what? It kind of showed me my own internalized misogyny, my own internalized transphobia, and I'm being nicer to myself as a result. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot in that discussion that was really interesting. And, and we've sort of danced around it a few times on the podcast, mm-hmm. some different podcasts um, that you've listened to and recommended, yeah. you know, down the rabbit hole. And But their take on it, I just thought, wow, that to be able to yeah. articulate it that way and to take what you needed to out of it is, mm-hmm. uh, was really interesting. Yeah, that's like an ideal. If you're going to swim in those terrible, terrible shark-infested waters, yes. that you come away with a deeper understanding of yourself and be nicer to yourself. I, personally, I also loved that this was partially written, pissed off at the Law & Order SVU episode. Which I haven't seen. So. Oh, I have. <laughs> And I thought of it right away, but I didn't want to say, like, remember that really bad SVU episode about it? And they did. They remembered it. Yes. And it pissed them off. Yes, as it should. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It honestly felt like we had put Austin up to talking about pre-orders. This very impassioned speech about Mm pre-ordering books. Mm -hmm. It felt very near and dear to my heart in particular. And it felt like, you know, maybe we, uh, we did this on purpose. We did not. We didn't. We this did. was completely Austin's own personal philosophy. But it does bring up a point that we've discussed before and is so important. And I don't think that people quite understand mm-hmm. that how important pre-orders are to booksellers, yeah. to authors, to making sure that the authors and the writing that you love and feels close to your heart continues to be made and continues to get attention. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-orders matter. They just do. And it, it is, you know, you and I have talked so many times about how very strange the book world is in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and this importance of pre-orders this importance of like blurbs on back covers things like that and you know it is what it is and that's the way the business works Mm -hmm. but by pre-ordering you're supporting 
Yes. Some of your new favorite authors. You are. I mean, if you think about it, I try to frame it in the idea of a concert. Like if no one bought the tickets prior to the concert, the concert wouldn't be put on. It's the same idea. Like you don't, it's, we're just so used to instant gratification that it seems weird to buy and not get something right away. But we do that in a lot of other aspects with a lot of other art forms. Mm -hmm. It would just... You got to make that connection and That's do a it good with thing. books. It's a good point about instant gratification because I remember back in the early 2000s when Buffy the Vampire Slayer started coming out on DVD <laughs> and it would only be every six months they would release a new season and I had to wait six months, months to get those damn DVDs in my hot little hands. Or it might throw you back to your blockbuster days where you go and you'd be like, oh yes. no, the movie I it's wanted to watch there. is out. They'd only had so many copies Ugh. and everybody else got here first. Aaron. So I have to settle for mom, I killed the babysitter again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's called don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Oh. <laughs> Is now if we're thinking of the same one with Christina. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I never actually saw it. Oh, okay. I just was thinking of the cover because I remember seeing the cover a bunch of times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. It's a what did movie. I say? Mom, I killed the babysitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you turned it into a murder. Mine is so much darker. <laughs> Oh, oh well, speaking of old stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I love it. Yes. <laughs> How I Met Your Mother came up. But I, I love that idea of like knowing that you're going to go into these old shows and old movies and see some bad stuff. Yeah. But almost using it as a way to like, oh, look how far we've advanced in this or yeah. look how far I've come in my understanding. I really like that. idea. Mm-hmm. I did, too. And <laughs> the idea of reframing it. As, you know, if you put different people in the roles and try it again. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And it never occurred to me. Never occurred to me either. I like the deep thinking that that came from. Right? Yeah. Did it make you think they'd be a great professor? Yes. I thought that a few times. Ooh. So I'm like, I feel like these are very elevated ideas that you're giving to me in a way that I am just eating up. Maybe it's a whole class on how I met your mother. It could be. Yeah. It could be on anything, really. It could be on anything. Because incredibly accessible and intelligent yes and that you don't always find that combination that's very true and hilarious as hell so funny we laughed a lot we did and i sweat when i laugh so i was very sweaty after this so sweaty so sweaty so So much sweat that's a little behind the scenes action yeah look at there so much sweat when we record Oh, boy. Well, guess what? We'll be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. In the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they are coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... 
this isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.